0: and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray and my friend Richard Murray is with me again. Those of you who watched us a week ago, we were wearing the same clothes, but I want you to know that we have showered and sort of shaved and uh, <laughs> Richard, thanks so much for being back for another episode. I really appreciate it. Glad to be here, brother. Thank you. And we were uh, talking in between these two recordings, and one of the things that I'm becoming more and more aware of, and it really hit me once again while you were talking, just about everything that I learned in religion was absolutely 180 degrees opposite of what's true. And... (laughs) Man, you can just go right down the line. When I started really seeing this, we still have our church that I started in September of 1991, but when we started getting this, I threw out the bylaws. I threw out uh, all doctrines. I did away with all committees and every all that kind of stuff like that. And we just pretty much started over. I guess they call that deconstruction now. But I don't want to get to the deconstruction to the point of where there's nothing we believe in. But when we replace that wrong thinking with the truth, well, that's when it gets good, isn't it?
1: Well, really, if you look at the Bible, we can see that same pattern in the Bible. There's a concept that the church fathers would call accommodation so that, God comes and he meets us where we're at. And when we're talking about man-made religion, everything that we, first, our first impulse is almost always wrong. Our first understanding, because we have not separated soul from spirit. You know, Hebrews 4.12 talks about separating what's of our soul from what's of the spirit. And that's what Jesus as the Logos does. He separates it so that we can know the thoughts of the intents of our heart. But God comes to the Old Testament believers in a brutal world full of sacrificial and violent theology. And he doesn't sit there and say, well, I'm not having anything to do with you guys because of this violence, because that's not what my son Jesus is like. No, he meets them where they're at, and he's trying to get to them where they're at with their violent religion to get them moving, to start to get them moving toward the promised land in the Old Testament, which is a physical type of a spiritual reality that is in the New Testament. So, I mean, when you were talking about deconstruction, you could say that the New Testament deconstructed the Old Testament. That's what the Jews have a hard time with Paul, because they just believe, what is this guy doing? He's reinterpreting all these Old Testament passages in the light of Christ. Where does he get the authority to do that? He's deconstructing them. Now, there's some great passages in the Old Testament, so I'm not saying the whole thing, but that's the point. God was there with them, but just because they kind of go off the rail a lot, They do get back on it because they're moving further and further up the timeline to Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate, not just the deconstruction, but the reconstruction. But the church fathers believe that God comes to us in our mindsets, no matter how harsh they may be, and he won't try to just poke his finger at us and say, you are wrong about all this. Stop thinking this way. We can't take it. You know, at one point he started to tell them about Satan in John 16. And he says, I have so much more to say to you, but you can't bear it now. You know, he accommodated where they were at. See, he plays the long game. He's playing the long game to get us where we need to be. We play the short game. Now, now, now you must have right doctrine. Now you must believe rightly. Now you must do this. But when we start seeing the accommodating ways of God, uh, and it's not that he's not prompting us to grow, and it's not that he's not exhorting us and encouraging us and even sometimes softly rebuking us to go. But it's going to be in a way that we can take it. No one knows our makeup more than he does. and He knows just what triggers need to be pulled and, and the things that need to happen. And uh, he wants a quality work done in us. And I, I always love Jesus' statement that it is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. And we need patience to grow. And we need to understand when others have a hard time with what we're saying, we have to accommodate them. You're excellent at this. I've seen you operate and, and you're excellent. Brad Jerzak is excellent at it. He accommodates people where they're at. It's taken me longer because I can be an aggressive guy and I just want to shake people. I don't want to accommodate them. I want to shake them into you know, into realizing it, but but I do it more than I ever have before. I've just given up trying to convince people. I just want to do honor to what I believe and me still. Bro, he's accommodating me too
0: in my oh, aggressive Yeah. Habits. I really appreciate you explaining that. And he really is. And he does it so gently and so lovingly. And he does know each of us. He knows what will get our attention when he needs to be stronger, this or that. But I have a friend who always says, each one of us is just right on time. And I will get in an unaccommodating mindset with some people. And I'll feel something coming and I'll be quiet and I'll hear the Lord say, Paul, 10 years ago... (laughs) You were right where they are. Are you going to bash them for being where you were? And that reminds me, I was talking to somebody the other day. For 10 years in the 1970s, I owned some music stores. And uh, there were other music stores in town and other stores close by. And if I would start to lose customers and they would go to another store because their service, well, I would try to find out why you know what what am i not doing that they don't know what's what's causing that i didn't put up signs in my store saying so and so used to shop here but the dirty dumb so and sos now go somewhere else and have nothing to do with them they they they're heretics <laughs> but you know what that's kind of what religion does when people start asking questions <laughs> and not going along with the party line. All of a sudden, we're labeled heretics, and there's a sign up saying "Have nothing to do with them." When maybe what we should be doing is saying, "Gee, I wonder why this is happening. I wonder if, I wonder if there's something we're not doing right." Exactly. Have
1: you ever seen those pixelated pictures? You know what a pixelated yeah. picture is. Don't? Yeah, you know, and you've seen like pixelated Abraham Lincoln. You can tell it's him, but you there's you don't see the definition on it. And Jesus, yeah. pixelated Jesus. Well, I saw one of my areas where God moved me from. I used to have to have theology laid out. I I would give people answers that had to be so precise and perfect that I wouldn't stop until I could give a perfect answer. Which is why I never stopped because I could never <laughs> give a perfect answer. But one day the Lord was just speaking to me kindly and softly and said, look, you just need to get enough to have a pixelated answer, okay? Because you're dealing with metaphysical truths that aren't seen. You're not dealing with logic. You're dealing with metaphysical cosmic truths that require omniscience to even fully understand why anything is the way that it is. So be happy with the pixelated views that you get. And the word that he gave me was rough. It's okay to have rough answers. You know, you don't have to have a precise answer. There's beauty in roughness. One of my Facebook friends used to be a model. And when I shared this thing about the pixelation, she said that when she used to model for a famous artist and the artist would squint. we were talking about squinting her up, but this is a different kind of squinting. That the artist wouldn't paint her with his eyes wide open, he would squint at her. And that somehow let him see her in a rougher way, but let his imagination come in and paint her in a more imaginative way. Really? And I really love that idea. You know, some people talk about the sin of certainty, but I don't really think it's so much certainty as it is the sin of precision. Like, I'm not going to believe something unless I've got it all A to Z figured out. And that ain't ever going to happen. But we can get enough of an answer, enough of a pixelated answer about God's goodness, about, you know, where evil comes from, about why things happen, you know, the way they do, why tragedies happen, why disasters happen. We can get enough of a picture, a pixelated picture that's that to know that it's not God doing. And there are a thousand pond <coughs> ripples crashing into each other, you know, in a thousand different ways from a thousand different causes secondhand smoke and all sorts of things like that not secondhand smoke i'm using that metaphor but a lot of things happen beyond our ability to know and i'm okay with that. you know i used to not be okay with it i don't have to have the answer i've got enough of an answer enough of a pixelated answer that i know god is good and i'm never moving from it and i think once you do the pressure's off of us and then we can start to maybe take some of that pixelate even see more not that it'll ever be fully not pixelated, but I think actually when we give up control over the thing, yeah. we'll see better than we will squint, we'll actually see it better.
0: Yeah, giving up things. Again, like we said before, what we uh, used to believe was 180 degrees different. You know, I used to think I had to give up anything that brought me happiness or joy. And I've come to see, well, the things I really need to give up are judging and having to be right and uh, condemning <laughs> and, and uh, uh, duality and uh, uh, thinking that and with separation and exclusion. And, you know, those are good things to give up. And the results are, you know, freedom and joy and peace.
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny. I posted something tonight. I don't know if you saw it earlier, but I was talking about my favorite exorcism that Jesus performed. Mm-hmm. And it was when he cast the devil out of our image of God. All right. Cause that's really when we're talking about the Old Testament, you know, the Old Testament believers that Jews still to this day would believe that Satan is God's enforcer, that he's the death angel, that he's God's enforcer. He's his minister of wrath. They believe that Satan operates at the Lord's command, much like Calvinists do. You know, Calvinists believe that today. Calvinists in Judaism have a similar view of Satan. Judaism would say that Satan is an obedient angel merely doing what God tells him to do and that God uses him as, as sort of his angry voice, okay? Right. The Calvinists would say that, no, Satan is a rabid dog, but he's on God's leash, and God sicks him on who God wants to sick him on. So, that's what but, Calvin did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but under either scenario, you know, that God is the ultimate source of evil. He's just using it for his own good. But now Jesus comes in the New Testament, and he sees Satan falling from heaven. You know, remember that scene? He sees yeah. Satan fall And I believe what that means is that Jesus came and when the disciples started healing and doing all this stuff, Jesus looks up and he sees Satan fall from heaven, which to me is him falling from the heavenly image of God. We had them joined at the hip. We had Satan joined at the hip with God and Jesus comes and he differentiates. I always say that the Old Testament saints often had what I call a glop, a G-L-O-P version where Satan, there was this glop. And they would call wrath and love part of the divine nature, judgment and forgiveness part of the divine nature. It was all God. And they had a very high view of God's sovereignty. So they couldn't really perceive that Satan was an off-the-grid rebel. All right, They couldn't believe that. And I understand why they could But he clearly, God is, has given us freedom, and he's given angels freedom. And whatever you want to say Satan is or he isn't, let's just take it. He does represent evil. He represents the source of evil. But Jesus comes in the New Testament. What does he do? He separates, he differentiates his Abba from Satan and said, no. And then if we do it this way, we see Satan fall from heaven, leaving the Abba image up here, and which is the pure and pristine image of God as love and
0: life. Folks, that's worth the price of admission. Jesus seeing Satan fall from our image of God. Ah, That is so good. While we're on that in the time we have left, let's go back to something that you said at the end of the first interview when Papa showed you that you were trying to get the devil to forgive him. And you mentioned that the devil will never forgive us and neither will God ever withhold forgiveness. Can you expand on that a little more?
1: Well, yeah, I was feeling sorry for myself because I was, I was operating in these cycles of self-condemnation And no matter what I did, I couldn't get past the condemnation of something that I did. It operated for years to come back and just crush me. Then one day, the Lord just prophetically prompted me and these insights to see that I was seeking the devil's forgiveness. Not that I was thinking, because I had an undifferentiated view because of the condemnation. And I thought the condemnation was coming from God. And what God was trying to get me to do was to let Satan fall from that. But he was telling me that Satan will never forgive me. No matter how many times I asked, which is why I kept asking and asking and asking in God's name. But I was attributing satanic qualities to the father. But so what he quickened to me was that Satan will never give you forgiveness and I'll never withhold it. So I was in the wrong source there. I had that image. My image of God during those times had become corrupted and I needed to do a purge. You know, every now and then we need to do a purge. I think of, of something that's crept in our thinking that we think about God that's unworthy. When we do, and as we said in the last session, we grow to resemble our image of God. There's a dynamic, as Tozer said, it was a secret law of the soul that we gravitate toward our image of the divine. So if we have an image of the divine, and I draw my image of the divine from 10 verses, uh, more than that. But I mean, my 10 favorite verses are in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, John five thirty-eight through 48. That's all the turn the cheek, love your enemy, bless those who curse you so that you can be perfect like your heavenly father who sends rain on the just and the unjust, who loves all. Those 10 passages to me are the plumb line of the divine nature. You can show me other verses that appear to say other than that, but right there, gee, that's the sweet spot in the New Testament, right there about the nature of God at least.
0: I agree. I completely agree. And that's, uh, you and I were both involved in Mike Zinker's conference on forgiveness and I don't think I heard anybody talk about what you were just saying about seeking forgiveness from the devil. Maybe maybe you did in one of your talks, but I don't remember that.
1: Probably didn't. I don't think I did.
0: I'm going to think about that. I'm going to pray about that. I'm going to start teaching on that. For the first two or three weeks, I'll say, my good friend Richard Murray said this. After about a month, I'll say, I always said this. I mean, I've always known this. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it works. I'm
1: sure i got it from somebody. Well, I I heard that from the Lord, but I'm not the first one to come up with that, I'm sure. Well, I tell you, it just shows you how important the renewal of our minds is. And, you know, a lot of people, okay, I'll renew my mind. I'll renew my mind. I'll read some scripture and I'll renew my mind. Well, I'm not making fun of that, but I'm just saying there's actually something going on when we renew our mind. To me, we could describe the differentiation, Satan falling, but the truth to be told, we have to continually re-monitor our thinking and see the entrails of the satanic things we accuse God of are still entwined around some of our presumptions and our blind spots. And, you know, John Wesley, man, he laid it out for his generation. He had to work through a lot more junk than we do, I think, because... Calvin, he was so against Calvinism of his day.
0: What was it? He said, Calvin's God is worse than the devil. I the think that's one of I was about to get to. He oh, was
1: shot. Tra- exactly. uh, uh, some pastor had died, I believe, had drowned. Or some pastor's child, I'm sorry. Some, it was a I believe it was a Methodist pastor's child had died. And these Calvinist pastors were saying, well, the child died because of the sins of their father and being theologically wrong. So Wesley looked at him and he said, oh, Your God is my Satan. You know, uh, man, is that not a beautiful way to put it? The God you're talking about is my Satan, even though it was sort of in an early stage because, you know, Wesley had some wrath in other areas. But he knew he was repulsed by Calvinism because Calvinism acknowledges the need for the devil. It acknowledges that the devil performs his function and God, he doesn't do anything to God doesn't command him to do, that Satan only does what God commands him to do. And i tell you what, I'm out on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Count me out. <laughs> uh, I, I, if I believe that, I would renounce my faith. If you told me yeah. that was the truth, I don't think, I, I think I'd have to
0: renounce my faith. Well, sure. I love what Paul Young story, uh, he was in, in England one time and he'd gone there to speak and the press was interviewing him. And I won't get this exactly right. Is it Richard Dawkins or they asked Paul Young, they said, well, what do you have to say about him being an atheist? And he said, Paul Young said, I don't believe in the God he doesn't believe in either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, to me, that's the God of Calvinism. I don't believe in that God either.
1: <laughs> but you know something that the atheists do that's a little tricky? I've seen this dynamic, and it's sort of hidden in there. You know how Paul talks about don't read by the dead letter, but mm-hmm. read by the living spirit in Second Corinthians 3. Mm-hmm. Well, what atheists do is they use the fundamentalist image of God, all right? So they'll use the primitive barbaric image of God. They won't ever use the image of God people like you and I are, are espousing because that's more reasonable. So there's a little bit of manipulation there, you know, where they, they set up a straw man using the stupidest view of God that any Christian has, the most untenable view of God. And the literal, the two literalists are literalists, the fundamentalists, but also atheists, because that's an easy target. If they just approach the literal things that the Bible says about God, then they, He's easy to shoot down. It's like shooting ducks at whatever All atheists are that way, but some. Yeah. Are.
0: I'm not disagreeing with you, but I have to think the reason they do that is because they've never heard of the version of God that Jesus revealed to us and that you talked about in the Beatitudes. So if they've never, heard of that God
1: I would say there are many that have yeah. had it have never heard it I've been dealing some with a particular atheist who was a Christian and renounced Christianity but he was a Christian in the areas where you and I travel he travels in our circles but oh, really? every time he attacks Christianity he's always quoting the fundamentalists and grouping us in with them and I understand oh, really? he's struggling fighting and fighting and trying to justify where he's at and and every time I try to say well there are a lot of Christians that don't read that that way. You know, just don't group us all in together. You know, yeah. there's more nuance to it. But yeah, you're right. A lot of them have never have never heard it. Yeah. And how should how should they know if they haven't heard? But see, when the Christians themselves attack what we do, <laughs> you know, say we get off the beaten path, and so we're kind of uh, we were talking Mike and uh Bill and I were talking about the other day about the Greeks had this term the Golden Mean. Have you ever heard of that? The, the no. Golden mean.
0: How do you spell that? Golden
1: M E A N just the golden mean, that the truth is always found in the middle. We go from the extremes. We go from the extremes to the nuances to the middle. And the best path is always the golden mean. And when I put that in Christian terms, I think, uh, you know, pilgrim's progress. The pilgrim was safe as long as he stayed in the middle of the road. But Satan was represented in that story as lions, but with chains on them. that couldn't reach the center of the road. But if you deviated from the center of the road, then they could get you. So the golden mean, we might be perceived as fence-sitters because we don't really call ourselves anything. We say, this is right, this is right. We don't commit. We're not really in any camp. Right. And uh, my point is, what might be called fence-sitting is we're trying to walk the golden mean and just follow the Lord's highway, you know, which means that we don't necessarily commit to theological camps you know, here or there or doctrine. Like you said, you did away with all your doctrine and all that. Well that's right, because you're looking for the Lord's highway. You know, in the thing. But we may be accused of fence sitting. Well you guys don't believe anything. Well that really, sure we do. You know, (laughs) but I mean people see the the progressive and see I don't really like the term progressive, but you know we get called that. And some people need to be called that because they don't even really believe what you and I believe. But we are trying to walk the path of non judgment and love and kindness, which requires us to be noble and considerate to our enemies. And we don't look like we're on the other side of the road. So we're hard to quantify. Now, that doesn't mean they don't try. They, they really do try to, but they'll call us fence sitters that, that don't really believe anything. That may be why it's hard for some atheists to pick up on what we're doing because we don't come across as being evangelistic with our theology and jamming it down their throats. The fundamentalists do jam it down people's throats.
0: Yeah. Gosh, I'm thinking again so many different things, but these are all fascinating things to think about. And you know, I ask you in the very beginning of the first one, you know, what are you all about? I well, I said what's your goal? That wasn't a good term to use, but as we close the second section, I would say that when people read my new book and they read about you and they saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this guy out. One of the main things I think they'll find is someone who encourages them to think and consider outside of the box of maybe where they've been. And gosh, you do that in spades. It's really helped me over the years. And I, and I think it's helped lots of people. And I appreciate that very much.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me. You know, the whole thing, I think, Paul, is religion makes you scared to use your imagination. Religion makes you use your imagination in fear to fear what's going to happen, to fear the or else, or to fear the hereafter. Whereas a sanctified imagination gets you imagining how good God is and gets you imagining how good God can be in any situation and how there's bigger issues all around us, things, potentialities swirling all around us. And when we use that to uh, a sanctified imagination, or what I like to call a spirit quickened imagination, dear Lord, Everyone becomes a writer. Everyone becomes a preacher. Everyone becomes a theologian. You know, Paul called the gospel his gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the Pauline gospel. John had his, remember what John's gospel we talked about? It? Yeah. It's God is life. That yeah. was his. And yeah. Paul would say it differently, you know, but they would agree and they would resonate with each other. Paul, you have your gospel. What does that say? Light walker. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Pure
0: light walker. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I love that. I, uh, I, I mean,
0: uh, thanks. What you're saying is, We were told that imagination was not good, but pure imagination is light, and it will lead you to light. It'll lead you to love with no darkness. Unsanctified imagination will certainly lead you down the toilet.
1: see, when we use our own imagination, it's in our own emotional language. You know, God revealed himself to me at Revival in Toronto as my wrestling coach. The people were praying for me, and I swooned in the spirit, and they were praying over me. And he revealed he took me back to a wrestling memory I had where uh, my wrestling coach took me under his wing in the eighth grade. And I've never had a man kind of notice me in that way, try to father me in that way. And he trained me and made me a warrior. But then our high school closed and I lost touch with him. But then fast forward to my junior year, I'm in the finals of a wrestling match. And I look around and I'm not really close to my new coach, but he's okay. But I mean, we're not really not close. So I'm going out to fight this big gorilla on the other side of the corner. His name was John Harms, and I was. They always talked about being in Harms' way, you know. He was the strongest individual I've ever felt in my life. But anyway, so I'm going out to face this big gorilla. I'm struggling with a little bit of trepidation <laughs> on the thing. But I look behind me. My coach is back behind me, my new coach, and then the enemy coach is in the other corner. I glance over to the side. My coach, I haven't seen him in two years, comes up and is sitting in my third corner over there. So that memory is quickened to me on the mat uh, while they're praying for me in Toronto. And all of a sudden, God started showing me that he had been there for me in my corner from the beginning, that he was my wrestling coach, that he loved me and that he was training me. And even though I didn't think he was there, he's always been there. He's always been in my corner. I just didn't see him. And Paul, that day was transformative in my life because I saw God. I never saw any darkness in him after that. Really? You know? and It wouldn't last because I wouldn't, I just wouldn't believe lies about him because the God that loved me so much in my own emotional language, he used my own imagination with wrestling and brought out of that imagination. He brought a touch that is is one of the most significant touches of my life. And to top it off, after they got through praying for me, I could not get up. I thought it was over and I tried to stand out and I couldn't get up. And I, I heard the Lord. And this is one of the times I did hear language pretty clear. I heard the words come up and say, you thought you could get up, huh? He showed me, he put me in a half Nelson and he was just kind of laying on top of me and I couldn't get up. And I just started laughing and cracking up. And then obviously, you know, I got up after that, but it was just, that that was a playful side of the Lord. I didn't even know existed. That forever impacted everything that I share now goes back to that 1992 experience that forever changed.
0: That's beautiful. My gosh, I don't have words to describe the things that you've said in, in these uh, last two sessions, but I'm going to do what I encourage my listeners to do. I'm going to go back and listen over and over again.
1: <laughs> well, Thank I just you, would encourage, Richard. I would encourage everybody to not be afraid of the images, that things that you like. God wants to speak through you, through the things that matter the most to you. And that's going to be where you exercise your imagination, whether it's in books, stories, movies, whatever it is you enjoy athletics, whatever, those are the, those are the, and most people know this, but, but then maybe they don't, you know, but I mean, those are the, rather than dry, stodgy sermons, you know, three-point sermons, he wants to speak to you through imagery. He is a God that, you know, Jesus spoke nothing but parables wherever he went, because images excite us, you know, they teach us so much
0: more than words do. Oh, they do. Being a jazz musician, uh, I had a great change in life and I became a music minister at a very fundamentalist church. I was told I had to give all of that stuff up and don't, you know, don't play Satan's music anymore. And all that. Well, then, since then, in this last period of my life, the Lord has helped me not only re enjoy that, but to see Him in. All of these old stories, you know, like, like old, old standards, like Over the Rainbow, I can see them now. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. I, I can see them now. I can see God in them. I can see God in the person who wrote those. I can see God in the people who are dancing to them when my band plays and enjoying it. It's just so good.
1: Well, see, you know, when we were talking earlier about beauties in the eye of the beholder and how we have the power to beautify, that's exactly yeah. what you're doing. You're using your gift. <laughs> And your experience to beautify the whole experience, and what used to be, you know, people pointing their finger at God. I know you're right. Everything we've been taught is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I know there are exceptions, but I mean, just yeah, it's all by the spirit, you know. And the, there's a spirit of it, a tone of it that's not right. It's condemning yeah. and fearful, and He wants us to live in the happy tones, you know, and in the peaceful tones, and in the tones where we don't even think, you know, we're, we're not self conscious. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I get self-conscious, I just go into lockdown, you know. Uh, But when I'm not self-conscious, I usually have a ball.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. Guys, Richard, this has been so good and I so appreciate it. And I don't want to finish, but we need to. And so as we do get ready to wrap up, tell folks again how they can connect with you and the things that you have that they can access.
1: I have a website, thegoodnessofgod.com it's got a bunch of audio teaching on there answering all most all of the tough questions about god that would cause you to think that he would bash you over the head or that you know he's evil or that he sins evil or in destruction and all that and uh, talk about new testament verses old testament verses the book of revelation we talk about it all on those audios, and they're free to stream. I've got some resources there that are free, some that are for sale, a couple of books. The important stuff is free on there. There's a big book that I wrote that I really need to edit, but, I mean, it's on there as a free PDF on the on the homepage. Uh, God versus Evil is what it's called, and developing an epic theology of God's heroic goodness. That's the subtitle. But God versus Evil, that's on there. But the audio tapes, probably, that's what most people really get blessed by. And then the Facebook post, Where really my fresh writings are, and where I really do most of my honing of stuff that's in the book, I'll rewrite it on Facebook. Facebook can be a great asset if you know how to use it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I go back and I edit every day. I go in my memories and I'll take that and edit it, edit it, and add some stuff to it, and then repost it. So hopefully, uh, one day I have 365 good writings of various links on it but facebook friends if uh, i'm I'm close to my limit on facebook friends but you can follow even past 5,000. so if if i if i'm not able to facebook friends you then follow and uh, you'll see some good posts i think and and some good interactions because i got a ton of brilliant friends that love to talk and interact paul you being one of them and i'm friends with other brilliant thinkers you talk about us having a worldwide web Somebody was trying to get me to go to church with them the other day, and I was trying to explain what my church was, and they were just blinking. You know, I was, what? <laughs> I said it's kind of an international, you know, loose affiliation of people that uh, just spontaneously let the winds blow them together. And you know, I said uh, this person was a building person. You know, they were kind of identifying churches as built. But you know what? I was proud that I couldn't explain it. <laughs> because oh, that's I good. It, I yeah, probably would have I probably would have cursed it. Yeah,
0: right. That reminds me of the great old story of the little boy who invited his neighbor friend to come to church and Sunday school with him. He said, "Well, I have to go ask my mom." And pretty soon he comes back and he says, "No, I can't go. Uh, we belong to a different abomination." <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow! Well,
1: I value your friendship, and I, I thank you for having me. I can always tell how good a conversation goes. You just draw it out of each other, you know? And
0: we do. And I, I thank you for that. And I really do encourage people to go to your Facebook page because there's so much. I don't know how you have time to be a lawyer because you put so much good stuff with so much research on there and just seems to flow so easily from you. But I appreciate it. And so do so many other people. And we're just grateful for you and for what you do and for who you are. Well, likewise, likewise to you, brother. I want to thank everybody for watching us, for being with us for another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode, and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.